open in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful to you for your great kindness toward us, uh, shown to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your grace and uh, for the blessing of uh, being part of a local church. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the loving union that we can enjoy as your people. We pray that as we continue to be ministered to uh, through your word, that we would minister to one another, that we would encourage one another, serve one another, uh, love one another, and uh, be merciful to each other. Help us to apply these truths so that we may be kind of men and women that brings honor to you and for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray these things that you may be honored even in our discussion this morning as we give thanks now in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so if... Uh, yeah. There's two batches. Just pass it to him. Then there's some pens if you need pens. Um, most of you should have pens because the pens are almost done. Um, Donovan, I'm going to leave the pens here. Right, um, <clears throat> this morning's lesson is going to be slightly different. We're starting with a discussion. I gave you questions last week and a case study for you to think through. If you need um, handouts, there should be enough. I printed 70, I think, so there should be sufficient. <clears throat> um, so I sent out questions last week uh, just to prepare your minds for discussion. I hopefully you thought about it or... <clears throat> I've done some sort of preparation. Uh, that means that I won't be talking the first part <clears throat> by myself. And then after that, I'm going to provide a biblical reason why, how we need to think about counseling unbelievers and why it's difficult for us to counsel unbelievers. But uh, <clears throat> let's begin by looking at question one. Can we counsel unbelievers? Now I'm going to explain why it is difficult, but I wanted you to answer that, and I just wanted to hear where the mindset is at. The reason I ask that question is because there are differing views on it. There are guys in the counseling community, that's Christian and biblical counseling community, that say yes, and there are those who say no. Uh, do we have biblical proof that can support our conviction on this? Um, what do you say? <clears throat> Definitely no. Well, what proof do you have? <laughs> I think Romans 8. Romans 8 is the mind of the unbelieving hostile to God. Okay, it's a good point. The mind of the unbelieving. They need evangelism on counsel. Okay, well said. They need evangelism. Uh, anyone else? <clears throat> Should we counsel unbelievers? Yes. Yeah, so I've got uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Yeah. Using the tool of counseling to get the message of the gospel across. Yeah. Yeah. 
Is it counseling though? Yeah. All right. Um, uh, I would not say use the tools of counseling because it is specific in scope. Um, the, the tools of counseling does not really apply to unbelievers, like uh, Andrew said. Their minds and hearts are hostile to God, so the application of the tool set of counseling would fall on deaf ears. Um, anyone else on counseling unbelievers? What are your thoughts? <clears throat> Anybody that believes we should counsel unbelievers? It's okay to. Uh, yes, there he is. Go ahead. <laughs> Yep. <clears throat> okay. Would you say that's counseling, though? <clears throat> yes, he was. Jesus pointed out a sin. Uh, where's your husband? Uh, the, uh, what did Jesus say? Um, you are true. You are right that the man you live with now is not your husband. So um, he pointed out her sin and her lies and her deception, um, and pointed her to himself. So that's evangelism. <clears throat> um, the discussion revolved around living water, natural water. Then Jesus moved to living water, which uh, is still in essence gospel. Um, so I know that that is used as a, um, an argument that Jesus used counseling tactics to bring it to salvation. No, he did not. It's in essence the gospel message. Um, and pointing out a sin, yes, you could probably call that a counseling tool, but you do that when, when, you, um, when you evangelize. That they, they are hostile to God. They do not love God. <clears throat> That's not counseling them. Um, th- there is something that is missing in the answer, answers that you've given yet to date. Anything else on why we shouldn't counsel unbelievers? Or should we? <clears throat> Can we? Sorry, uh, I think just Psalm 1 1, the almost a play on words. <clears throat> Our blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Yeah. Yeah, we don't receive their counsel. Um, yeah, I wouldn't use that for the other, but the opposite is, is true as well. <clears throat> uh, anything else? No. So, counseling unbelievers, the reason I ask a question is because there are biblical counselors who say, yes, <clears throat> we should counsel unbelievers. And I'm going to make a case from the lecturing side why it is difficult to counsel unbelievers. The answer is no. Um, one fundamental reason is the application of the one another's. That, that is what counseling involves. It is love one another, serve one another, counsel one another, or admonish one another um, to, uh, um, what's the other one another's? Be kind to one another. Uh, you list them. It's all related to believers. Did you put your hand up? No, okay. Um, it all, all relates to believers, the application of the one another's cannot be true of the unbelieving world. Uh, Cameron is right. First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen: the natural man does not accept the things of God. And I will look at that in a moment's time. <clears throat> Any other comments on that? No. 
Okay. Question two. Who is responsible for counseling in the church? Can anyone counsel? <clears throat> if there's nobody that speaks, I call on people. Like Hilton. Yes, Hilton. Where's John? I'm looking at you, brother. <laughs> so you say anyone? Okay. Uh, is that true? <clears throat> anyone who's a believer. Anyone who's a believer. Yeah, okay. Um, that's presumed in the church. Okay. Um, do, do you want to expand on that? Is there any biblical proof for your... Okay. <laughs> yeah, there are one another applications. That's true. Anything else? <clears throat> Go ahead. Tell me what it says. Okay. True. Um, anything else? Yeah, Galatians 6. Yeah. There you go. Um, so it's not just a believer. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's where I was going to go. Thank you. So it is true that the expectation is that everyone should be able to counsel. Uh, the task of discipleship is a broad spectrum uh, expectation of Jesus Christ. The task of counseling is also broad, but Galatians does limit it. Brothers, chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. Now, it is true that it can be translated that those who have the spirit. It can go that way. Uh, I do prefer the translation uh, um, that specify a limitation. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There needs to be a level of spirituality that is already present in that person in order for him to pursue that person to draw them back or to keep them from following uh, that sinful life. So it is expected of everybody to counsel, but not everybody can counsel because not everybody is living by the Spirit or in the Spirit or walking by the Spirit. And those people who are not walking in the Spirit, they're going to cause a little bit more damage than those who are. Well, I shouldn't say that. They will cause more damage. Um, those who are walking in the Spirit will not cause because their heart is set on Christ and their desire is for their believer. They will point them to Scripture, whereas the one who's not walking in the Spirit, who's not uh, walking by the Word, that person's going to give personal advice. Well, have you thought about this? Um, can you, you know, I do this. It's, it's all about me um, leaning on. They will Google answers um, uh, to help believers. Yes, go ahead. <coughs> Well, you can have a mature young believer. You can have somebody that grows faithfully and just excels at consuming God's word and they are just as adequate as somebody who's been on the road for 20 years. Um, as long as, remember the two components? 
I mentioned last week. What are the two most important components of counseling which Aaron wanted to um, split? What are the two things that I mentioned last week? It's, yeah, go ahead. No, no, yes? Go ahead. Yeah, so I have knowledge of the scriptures. The other one was? Yeah, compassion. You, in order for a believer to be adequate to counsel, there must be knowledge of the truth and there must be compassion for the believer. When a person has just been saved, it's hard to expect both of those to be present because it's a new life. It's everything is, is brand new to them. They don't know the people that they are around in church. There's not a overwhelming love and compassion for those whom they have uh, been brought to. But, uh, uh, and the knowledge of the truth is not as um, readily available than those who have been saved for a longer period of time. Now, that is not to say that there are young men and women who are growing in the, the faith and can uh, counsel. Uh, anything else on that? No. So from this lecture onwards, now next week we are going to do a different kind of lecture. We're going to look at the qualifications of the counselor, which I will not be doing, but a brother in this church will be doing. Um, I will be here, but I just wanted to give him an opportunity to uh, come and teach. Then um, following that, not the week following because it's breaking of bread, but following that we will look at practical application of counseling. So we will look then at anxiety, how to deal with anxiety, how to deal with the loss of a loved one, how to counsel people in, in that situation. Um, those of you who suffer from stress, you want to come to the anxiety one. Um, what was the other ones? Um, suicide, suicidal thoughts. Uh, I'll be covering that. So there are going to be a lot of more practical lessons from this point forward. Uh, uh, the how-tos of counseling. So this is the last of the theory classes. All right, case study. <clears throat> the first of many. How would you counsel a person who's a believer who has cross-gender attraction? Uh, I'm presuming you know what that is. I don't have to explain that. Or dresses as the opposite gender. Um, he loves pink. And I know that there's a guy in this church who doesn't mind pink. We have to pray for him. <laughs> I'm looking his direction. I'm not saying his name. Just saying. <laughs> um, so how would you... Where would you start with a person like that? Men or women? That doesn't matter. Uh, where, what's your starting point? Don't tell me scripture because that is presumed. Be specific. Okay, so you're going to start with a slap in the face. <clears throat> um, okay, um, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists the sexual immoral acts. Do not be deceived, neither sexual immoral... Uh, they sexually model the idolaters, the, nor the adulterers, uh, nor men who practice homosexuality. Um, okay, so is that the place to start, though? While true, what is your goal? What is the end goal to help that believer? Uh, yes, it is scripture and it will help, but I don't think it's the best place to start. Yes? Well said. Starting in Genesis. Okay. Um, Peter, did you want to? I was just going to say, I think it's 
conquer? Yep. So God created them male and female, two genders from the beginning. What you are desiring is not natural. So from that point, you have a wide array of approach. You could end up in Romans, which say that your desires are against the natural order of life, against what God desires for you. Or you could go the Corinthian route and say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. No, um, I think that I would leave that for later on. If they pursue that lifestyle, I would say, listen, what the Bible actually tells me about a person who pursues this. Have you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Do you understand what God says about that? That is living a deceptive life and it drives you away from God, not to God. You cannot in good conscience say that you are loving the Lord while loving your sin. So uh, anything else on that before I comment more? Uh, don't ask me about pink. I'm not going to answer. <laughs> 22. Yeah. The condemnation of lying with a man as you would with a woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. But why, why does that command exist? <clears throat> you point them to Genesis. God created them male and female. And so um, the... You want to point out that the standard design from God is that there are two genders who are attracted to one another. Males are attracted to females and females are attracted to males. That is natural in God's economy. What you are experiencing is, some, what you are experiencing is something that is unnatural. You have not learned to desire the thing that God desires for you. Now, there is a number of things that could influence that and you have to probe that as a counselor. Um, how did you get to this conclusion that you are desiring this? What influenced your thinking? Uh, it should not surprise you that to be, between 2020 and 2022, I forget the stats, but I think <clears throat> there was a 300% increase in transgenderism due to lockdowns. When the world was shut down and people sitting on the internet 24-7, what happened? started searching things that they shouldn't be searching. Instead of being educated, they educated themselves. And a lot of young people got confused. YouTube kids, um, TikTok, um, what was the other one? There were three major ones. Uh, Instagram were three of the main influences on the minds of kids with regards to the confusion of transgenderism. Uh, That's a warning. Let us keep our kids off it. And if you ask them what, what, what caused this? It didn't just happen. You didn't wake up one morning and decided, I'm a boy today. Or I've always been a girl. No. Something triggered that. Something uh, fed that neurosis. And you have to find out what it is. That has to be cut off. Because the more they are fed this lie, the more they will believe this lie. So if it is social media, cut them off. Tell them, listen, you need to get off this bad influence. Uh, unfortunately, if you've searched those things on, um, or if you've watched one or two on, on YouTube Kids or on um, whatever social media, the algorithm will just force you to watch more. 
And so instead of trying to get rid of it by watching other things, because it's always going to show up after you've watched it, you have to help them to see the need to cut themselves off. That I mean, there's a Bible verse that says that. Anybody remember what it says? If your hand, who said arm? Oh, okay, because that, that's Islamic. The arm is Islamic. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, it doesn't mean literally. It's speaking about the cause. Find the cause, get rid of the cause. And then once you've dealt with that, you want to direct them to understand that the best relationship that God has for them, the best, most fulfilling relationship in this life, apart from Jesus Christ, is a relationship with the opposite sex. That is the only thing that will bring satisfaction to their lives, not pursuing a relationship with another person of the same gender. Um, There are those who are confused and who call themselves, um, what is it now? Uh, they, they, they are animals. I forget the, um, no, it's not the non-binary crew. The, anyway, it doesn't matter. They, 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 a human, they're not human. They're actually animals born in human flesh. Um, and so they have a lot of cats and a lot of da- dogs and they, they want to, and maybe some of you love animals, maybe you were born <laughs> into, into a, a human body. That, that is the conception. Um, you want to help them see that that is not normal. Uh, there may be something mentally, I should say, psychologically, because I don't have a better word, there may be a mind problem. Um, there, because that is not normal thinking. If it, about 50 years ago, if a guy was called to be a homosexual, he ended up in an asylum. That was just 50 years ago. It's been normalized. Um, so clearly, this there's, there's too many influences today to ignore. And uh, obviously, you can't cut off everything, but you want them to understand that the best relationship that they can find satisfaction in is a relationship with the opposite uh, gender. Any other comments? <clears throat> no. Yeah. I would say to zoom in on this specific thing because it's very specific of the hand. Because um, the TV is, I mean, you've got news on it, you've got some Christian shows on it, you've got some quote-unquote innocent shows. I mean, uh, so uh, most of them are not. So if there's a specific program that informs that lifestyle, get rid of it. Um, if there are other things that's related to that, that informs that lifestyle, that helps you to think along the, those lines, get rid of it. Stop watching it. Um, and uh, replace that bad habit with a good habit. Um, read, you, you have to help them to see the importance of affirming the um, Genesis mandate. So give them a book to read on, on um, uh, what's that? Uh, Different by Design, uh, John MacArthur. Um, um, Biblical Manhood and Woman by Piper and uh, Grudem. Um, so there's, there's quite, a, uh, quite a wide array of material available to help them. Anything else on that before we move on? Okay, I mentioned that because it is coming up quite a lot. And as a parent, it is your duty to protect your child. Um, I, I don't disagree with 
with Andrew that you, you should use that verse in 1 Corinthians. But when they reject the gospel, when they reject the truth of God's word, when they reject um, the truth of their creation as, as being a specific gender, then you want to point out that, listen, you are heading in the wrong direction and this is the condemnation that you place yourself under. <coughs> Good. Sometimes uh, the world is very harsh on parents who say to a son or daughter, if you can insist on this, then you have to call another mother to insist yeah. on this. Uh, they see this harsh, but that is just being yeah. honest with the word. Uh, sometimes we have to make that call. Yeah. Um, obviously, you don't want to kick a 12-year-old out, <clears throat> but um, if, if it's an adult and they, dis- they choose not to submit to your authority in the home, you have no problem to say, well, if that's the case, um, uh, we lived through that, uh, find your own house. Go be your own parent. Um, go. <clears throat> All right. Let's move on. Number two, reasons why we cannot counsel unbelievers. I'm going to start with what Cameron mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13 through to 14. I have somewhat uh, translated it slightly different, uh, but the sense is still the same. If you notice the two highlighted words in bold, that's verse 14. But the natural person does not welcome the teachings of God's Spirit. They are foolishness to him, and he is not able uh, to know about them because they must be discerned spiritually. So A, the un- an unregenerate person does not appreciate and cannot appropriate the things of the Spirit of God. That is obvious. When we try to give unbelievers the truths of God's word saying, you need to do this, we are not helping them because they cannot. In fact, the word is pretty strong, does not welcome, does not accept as one translation says. They don't want it. So why are you giving them something that they don't want? One person says, oh, you've got to help them cross the bridge. So you come over to their side, take them by the hand, and help them cross the bridge. Listen, they don't even want to come to the bridge. So how can you, how can you help them cross if they are not even close to the bridge? I think you get the analogy, right? We cannot expect unbelievers um, to value the weightiness and the authority of God's word. They don't get it. It's foolishness to them. B, the Spirit enables only believers to understand God's Word. And you see that in verse 13. Not words taught by human wisdom, but those that are taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual teaching with spiritual words. But, in contrast to speaking to those who are spiritual, but... The natural man, the unbeliever, does not get it. The Spirit enables God's people to 
comprehend, understand, and receive the Word of God. I read a book by Piper about four years ago. I forget the title now. Um, Precious something. Um, forget the title. It's a black cover. Anyway, and he mentioned something that was very interesting. He said that when the Lord first called him and saved him, something was ignited in his heart with regards to the Word. He not only loved it, but the Word drew him. Then it captivated him, and now it keeps him. That is what happens to a believer. You are not only drawn to the truth, you are captivated by the truth, and you are held by the truth. The barriers, the framework that holds you in is the truth. You, you are so careful to not want to offend the truth that you're always checking what the Word says. That's the believer. An unbeliever doesn't care about the framework, doesn't care about the boundaries. See, the unbeliever cannot please the Lord nor obey His Word. Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh, what? Cannot please God. Why then are you trying to help them in a way that would please God when they cannot by themselves please God? This is a crucial point. If you only give them moral principles without pointing to the heart problem that they are unbelievers, without helping them to see the weightiness of the cross, the holiness of God, and their state before Him, if you don't show them the need of repentance, then you're helping them to be good sinners. You are helping them to be good sinners who hate God. That is not counseling. That's making moral sinners. If you are giving them a list of principles to live by and say, just do these things, you are giving them law and not grace. That is not helping. You are binding them to a set of rules that in, in essence you are thinking would please God and it drives them further away from God because all they are think is, thinking is, all I need to do are these things without repentance. Let me just... Follow these principles. That is law. You, you are actively driving away from God when you're counseling unbelievers and not giving them the gospel. D, unbelieving hearts are far from God. That is pretty obvious. Jesus says that they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far from me. So how then can you expect someone who has a heart that is distant from God to live for the Lord? Because that is what counseling aims to do. It is to help the believer live for God, to glorify God in their lives. They cannot do that. We hear often that uh, in the world that we are told to follow our hearts. Um, and sometimes we give unbelievers that counsel. Just do what, is, what feels right to you. That's the worst advice ever. The biblical view of the heart is so completely different to our understanding and view of the heart. When we think of the heart, we think of this Valentine view, uh, Valentine, Valentinian view of the heart. You know, with the, the Cupid thing that shoots arrows into the heart. You know what that will do, right? It makes the heart bleed. That's not even a loving thing. But anyway, we've been captivated by this idea of cupidity, which is very close to 
the other word. I'm just saying. And all we think of is emotion. That's all we think of is, is the emotive element of the heart. Now, the heart does have emotion, but in the biblical sense, the heart has a mind and a will. That is what it is. It's the inward, unseen part of man that responds either in submission to God or rejection of God. It is the hidden aspects of the heart that is always in view, not just the emotion. Intellect, will, that includes the emotion. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. Take note of this. For from it flow the springs of life. That last phrase says that from your heart comes all that you are. From your heart flows the rest of your life. Makes absolute sense. External manifestations of the true person, this is what we've been dealing with in James, comes from the heart. So counseling ought to aim at heart change, not just behavioral change. That is what counselors, uh, secular counselors do. We ought to aim at heart change when you are using biblical counseling tools to change the behavior of a person, you are engaging in behavior modification without the heart. That's unpleasing to the Lord. E, displeasing to the Lord. Only believers can truly obey the Lord. Why do I say that? Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 tells us that God will give to His people a heart, a renewed heart, a heart of flesh taken out replacing that heart of stone that is unresponsive, giving them a heart that loves His Word and is able to obey His Word. Only the believer can do that. So then you got a question when a guy who has same-sex attraction says, well, I've just been made this way, but I also love the Lord. Uh, no, it says that if you love the Lord, you will obey His Word. Why? Because God has enabled you to obey His word. So what you are saying is that this sin is outside the capacity for God to remove from you. This sin is not in the realm of God's delivering capacity. So then you must be unique in this world. God provides a spirit to His people to enable them to do His word. Uh, number three, problems with counseling unbelievers. When we aim to provide biblical counsel to unregenerate hearts, we face serious, serious problems. Number one, any changes they may make will still displease God. Doesn't matter how good they are at following the rules, it is still a dishonor to God. All your good works are like, what does the Bible say? Filthy rags. That is what you are encouraging them to do. Take your dirty works to God and see if you'll be pleased, pleased with it. Number two, all you can hope to accomplish is a reformation for a short period of time and not transformation of the heart. You are not helping them. You're causing a deceptive uh, person. You are participating in causing deception in that person. Number three, it gives... Um, sorry about that. It gives the false impression that they can uh, be better, sorry, that they can better themselves apart from Christ. Wrong impression that they can somehow be better. Number four, 
providing godly instruction to a deceived heart is expecting unbelievers to do something that they cannot do, which I've reiterated in a number of different ways. So then, why would you even ever try to apply biblical rules to an unbeliever when it comes to counseling? You're not helping. Number four, what can the counselor do for the unbeliever? A, hear their problem. You've got to be sensitive to a person that comes to you and says, listen, um, I need some help, uh, I need some counsel, and hear them out. There's nothing wrong in hearing them out. Do not just, on the fact that they are unbelievers, say, well, I can't counsel you because you're not a Christian. Go away, you infidel. That, that, that is not how, what we are supposed to do. You want to help them. And this is how you do it. Well, first of all, you have the problem. Then pray for them. In general terms, that God would use the circumstance, but also pray that they would come to find peace and comfort in Christ. What is that? Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, verse 1, we have peace with God. So you're starting to sow the seeds of the gospel even in prayer. You are pointing them to Christ that the means of um, finding peace, doesn't matter the circumstance, finding peace and hope and comfort is in Christ. The best you can do, and in most cases, is just pray for them. Pray with them. Affirm the gospel of grace in your prayer to undeserving sinners. In a general uh, sense, you could say, Lord, I thank you that you are such a gracious God to sinners such as I, that you show to us mercy when we don't deserve it, that despite the, the horridness of our circumstances, you can shine the light of your grace upon our lives so that we can come to know Jesus Christ the Savior. That's the gospel in prayer. Affirm the gospel to them not only in prayer, but also in uh, the verbal sense, that amidst their affliction, they can find peace. C, avoid moral counseling because it drives people away from, from God. And I made this point before. The reason why we provide moral counseling is because we do want to help, but we don't really know how to help. And so we give them a list of rules to say, well, you know what, if your husband's giving you trouble, why don't you just submit and, and love him. Can she though? Is it, is it possible for if believing women struggle, how much more would an unbelieving woman? Or maybe a husband comes to you and says, well, I, I don't know what to do in my marriage anymore. Well, the simple uh, counsel would be to a believer, well, God says, love your wives. It's a command. You don't have a choice, brother. It doesn't matter if she burns your food. You are to love her, regardless of that. Now, that would make sense in a Christian context, but what if he struggles? What if his love is his car, his love is his gaming? You are not going to give him... Um, you're not going to help him by just telling him to love in the way that God expects us to love. He must love his wife as an unbeliever, nonetheless. But he can't do what God expects him to do. We must not give unbelievers the wrong impression that anything less than a heart change is required from God. If you just give them a list of rules, you are deceiving them, thinking that you are helping them, and all that they can do is tick this box, tick this box, tick that box, and God is pleased with me. 
you are making moral sinners. And be careful of that. D. Remember that all counseling with unbelievers is in essence pre-hyphenated word, pre-counsel. That's what Cameron was after. I, I always want to call him Calvin because didn't you study Calvin in, in church history? That's why, right? So I'll call you Calvin from now onwards because they called you Calvin. So I'm going to call him Calvin. Um, Pre-counsel. That is what we are after. It's not the principles of counseling, but it is pointing towards that you want to help. And the only way that you can help is if they become believers. For instance, Jesus at the well pointed out her sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. um, We never... uh, uh, Avoid the gospel three to four. Um, he show the sufficiency of Christ. You can hear the problem, but you must always point them to Christ. You want to point out that Christ is a great high priest. He's a sympathetic high priest, and he sympathizes with his own. There's nothing wrong in saying that. That his, his heart is for his brothers. That's what Hebrews says. And so he became like one of them. Take, took on flesh and blood to die in their place. And so he can sympathize on a level with us that no one can. They should then see themselves as outside of that brotherhood. Don't offer the blessings of the gospel as a cause or cure. I made that up. I, I don't know if anybody's used that word, but causal cure makes sense to me. It's not a one-stop pill that cures all things. Now, some people say if you, if you drink that fish oil pill, which is like the worst thing in the world, if you drink that pill, you will never get sick again. That's, in essence, what I'm trying to say. That There's not a one-stop pill that will heal you from all your problems. You need to let them know that coming to saving faith doesn't solve their problem. It will help them deal with the problem, but it is not the solution to their problem. Their greater problem is not their problem. Their greater problem is that they are at war with God. You can say that you will have forgiveness and you will have peace with God and you will have joy, but it may not solve the issue that you are facing. But it will help you in a way that you cannot see it now. And I gave you, I think I gave you point five, right? I rushed through that because I, I didn't want to go over time since um, uh, I have a very lengthy sermon, so I didn't want to um, take from my sermon time. Any questions, comments on that? So all in all, when I say pre-counsel, I mean that you, the whole purpose of you hearing them out is to point them to Christ. Can, can you help them? Well, it depends on the situation. If a guy is coming to you and say, I have a financial problem. Now, don't go give him a financial, biblical financial lesson on financing and, and budgeting and things like that. You want to find out, well, why is he in a financial problem? Um, and if he's your brother in, brother in the flesh but he's not a believer, you can still help him. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. So just depending on the situation, you need to be, I think I put the last point, uh, point D, be wise, point C, be patient, and then be wise. Try not to just um, cut them off and say, I can't help you. Um, but you also don't want to throw, why does Jesus say, uh, 
um, pearls before the swine. You don't want to keep on giving them good advice if they are not taking the good advice. Uh, so be wise. If they, if they reject the gospel outright, your job is done. And then you can't help them. Uh, you could say, look, I will pray for you, um, but I can't really help you. I, I will really pray that God would work in your heart and that you find peace in your heart. Um, but I, I don't really know how I can, how I can help you. Proverbs thirteen fifteen: good sense wins favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. His life is going to be hard. You're not going to be able to snatch him out of it. And then the last point I bring out is be aware of false professions. Some people may make a profession just to have a solution to the problem. And you've got to probe that. Well, why actually do you want to come to Saving Faith? Well, my life is hard. Well, no, no. That's not why you need to come to Saving Faith. Okay, questions, comments? Point. Point. I don't have uh, page three. So it's point two C. Uh, you used three words there, and I missed the last word. When you were talking about the word of God, you said it draws him and it keeps him. And then the third word you used, it's from uh, Oh, so it uh, draws you, it keeps you, and sustains you. Sustain. Captivate. Or synonym is sustain, which is, which is not. <clears throat> Captivate. That's not in my notes, though. That was a freebie. Um, anything else? No. Oh, sorry, I didn't see the end. Go ahead. Um, in, in essence, yes, because if you're thinking about salvation gospel, um, so if a believer is saved, he's saved, right? But Paul writes, the Rom Romans chapter, the whole book of Romans is the gospel, right? The righteousness of God um, uh, deals with the righteousness of God. So there are different elements to the gospel. The gospel sustains us as believers. So when Paul affirms to, uh, to Timothy, that he needs to be firm in the faith, he gives him the gospel. Just remember what um, you have been saved by and what keeps you. It is the gospel. So yes, the gospel has a place in the life of the believer. You reaffirm that to the saint. Oh, no? Okay, Any, anything else? Uh, it's a good reminder to believers. Yeah. Tension for the unbeliever, yes, is salvation, and for the believer is um, sanctification. Good point. Anything else? If there's nothing else, we can take a break. No? Okay, fine. We'll take a five-minute break. You can have your coffee, and we'll...